0: Greg and Palzetta uh, hopped on his motorcycle, and they're cruising around. No, I'm kidding. Uh, They're at the uh, retreat, uh, marriage retreat. So uh, hopefully you're encouraged by that. Not that they are in desperate need of, of counsel, but their heart is to be able to just keep receiving from the Lord, and they both know that whatever the situation is now, they can always get better in God. So that's their goal. So, we're going to be looking at, uh, at some, again, oldies but goodies, uh, golden oldies. We're going to be looking at some Old Testament uh, characters here today, some men of God. We're going to start in 2 Kings 6. Before I do that, I'm going to pray. Lord, please meet us here. We ask that you would just open our eyes to see you in these verses, to see you in our circumstances. To realize that you are always with us, Lord. That your presence is the surest thing that we can count on, Lord. So, Lord, once again, just speak to us. Open our understanding. Just write these things on the tablets of our heart. And we offer these things in faith. In your name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Second Kings chapter 6, beginning at verse 15. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who were with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Two weeks ago, Pastor Greg taught us about faith. Taught us about the necessity of faith, the blessings of faith, and how we can't really please God unless we're walking in faith. Last week, Ryan blessed us. He gave us a study talking about how the Israelites came to the Jordan and how that they realized that God had gone before them. And as they stepped into the Jordan, God was with them, and he reminded us of being able to pick up those stones to remember what God has done for us. Okay. I believe God wants to take that and build on it today as he put on my heart to share to speak on these verses. Today we're going to look at several men of God and examine their reactions when facing the enemies of God, and therefore what our reactions should be. We'll start with one that was overwhelmed with fear and dread, Elisha's servant, Gehazi. The other was Elisha himself, perfectly calm, tranquil, and trusting God. But in order to do that, I'm going to take you to the backstory story about what happened here, and the enemies of God often forget about the presence of, of God with his people. Beginning at 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. You want to go there? Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servant, saying, It's such and such a place, place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, this prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak even in your bedroom. Now this is awesome. The Syrian king, Benadad, every time he came up with a plan and a way to be able to come against the Israelites, because he was a tactician. He took his army certain, in certain places, in certain circumstances. But every time he did that, the Israelites weren't there. Because the Israelites knew what was going to happen. Why? Because God spoke to Elisha. It said that even when you're speaking in your bedroom, this man knows what you're saying. they okay. are defeated because the Syrian king was defeated in all those things that he attempted to do because he forgot something. He forgot to count and consider the God of Israel. He he forgot to consider that the people he was warring against had not just a God, the God. There was a man called Voltaire was his name. Hundreds of years ago, he made a proclamation. He took his printing press and, and printed out something that said, in a short time, there are going to be no more Bibles and no more Christians. Well, when he died, Christians were able to access his building and his printing press. And some of the first Bibles ever printed were printed on his printing press. And those Bibles are still in use today. Okay. He did everything but consider the fact that God is God. He took him out of the equation. Okay. Thus the results. Getting back to Second Kings, verse 13. He said, go and see where he is, that I might send and seize him. And it was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. What was his reaction? Where is this guy? Okay. I want to know where he is because we're going to go and kill him. We're going to take him out. Okay. But notice how he did it. One prophet. So what did he do? He sent his army, horses, chariots, and a great army, surrounded the city in order to get one guy. That should speak to us about how the enemy also views us when we're serving the Lord. You need to realize that all of the hosts of hell, every one of the demons of hell, if they were all formed together, all the worldly antagonism towards Christians, if they were all formed in one place and they came against you individually, if God was with you, You're the majority. You are the majority. I repeat, it doesn't matter how many of the enemies of God come against you. If you're with God, you are greater than them. Any reaction to that, folks? Amen. Good. (laughs) Good. We need to remember that. Then began in verse 15, and the servant said, alas, my master, what should we do? Gehazi. He, saw, he woke up and saw these, this army surrounding the city. His natural reaction was, we're doomed. Okay. If, there's a, if God was with us, he's forgotten us. Okay. How can we possibly get out of this alive? Elisha very simply said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And he prayed, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. That's the theme we're going to look at today. How often do you see the enemies and forget who your God is? Forget what he's done for you. Forget who who he is that's working for you right now and what he will do for you in the future. There needs to be written in our hearts this this truth. God's presence with his people isn't just a theory, it's a fact. It's easy for me to get up and say to you, God is present with you every moment of every day. And you can say, oh, that's a nice cliche. Folks, it's not a cliche. It's a very simple, absolute truth. You can't go anywhere. Even when you're sinning, God is still You're still in his sight. He still knows where you are. He's still protecting you. I can't tell you how many times I've made stupid decisions and realized after the fact that, wow, God saved me from myself. Literally. You see, Elijah had spiritual insight. What a difference it was the way he viewed things than his servant Gehazi, as he viewed the threat. But Gehazi's reaction, we see in reality, isn't one that's that different than a lot of times even the children of God have. Because God's presence isn't always realized, remembered, or even believed by his people. God's challenge to us today, I believe, is what do you see? When you're in the middle of those trials, when you're facing the enemy, what do you see? Do you see God or do you see the obstacles in the enemy alone? We can look around today. I don't have to remind you of this. Every one of you, I think, is going to be able to agree with me on this. We see the signs of moral decay. decay. Crime is rampant. Sexual sin is embraced. Our country is in a place where they say abortion on demand is okay. We have real threats to our national security. There's a reality of persecution, even martyrdom, for Christians all across the world. Finally... For some people, we are feared as Christians, and we are looked on as the enemy only because we serve God. That's what we face. I'm going to bring up a name here that you may not have expected to hear on a Sunday morning, but Bruce Jenner. I went on the Internet, and I saw the headlines on MSN. Bruce Jenner interview, interview that will change the world. You know what? I don't want my world changed to his view. Okay? I don't. But the idea is that this man came out and said he's transsexual, I think is what he calls it. Okay. It's, sorry folks, it's sin. Okay. He came out and declared that, and because he's a well-known figure, suddenly the world is going to be changed. People are going to now embrace this. Another headline I saw was a remarkable thing that they said, Jenner declares he's a Republican and a conservative and a Christian. Their reaction, as I read a little bit of the article, was, oh, our hero, the guy that came out, how can this be? He also says he's a Republican, a conservative, and he's a Christian. Now, I don't know about the Christian part. That's between him and God. But they view those things almost on an equal as far as how newsworthy this is because that's how they view us. You look around today and see the modern-day equivalent of horses, chariots, and terrible displays of carnal weapons all aimed at us. We're not going to go out today and see chariots around and horses and men with swords facing us, but you know what? The threat is real. The threat is just as real, and the enemy behind it is just as real. We can be thinking, how do I have hope when facing these things? Who am I to stand against it? We can feel hopeless, powerless, and defeated. Question for you today, what enemy are you facing today? Maybe you're having health struggles, financial struggles, relationship issues. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe there's secret sin that you're struggling with. Maybe you're in the middle of a crisis of faith. Or maybe you feel like you just simply want to give up and you've lost hope. Do you see God in those trials? That's my challenge to you today and my encouragement. Are you turning to God as Elisha did? Do you have that spiritual insight to see him? Our prayer should be what, what Elisha prayed. Lord, open our eyes that we can see, that we can see the truth and believe the truth. How do you see God today? How do we know truth? John 8.31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How do we know truth? You abide in God's word. Abide doesn't mean, oh, i got to read a few passages this morning. I'll read them. Okay, close the Bible. Good, I did my duty for today. That's not what it means. Abiding means literally living in his word. Isaiah 55.11 tells us, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God says, if I say it's going to happen, it is done. But God decides there's no changing. The things that he's promised in his word will come true. We need to remember that. When you dig in his word and find those promises, you can say, your words, God says, that these things will not go out and come back void. They are promises that we can hold on to. Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will your way, you'll make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Joshua 1.8. Again, it says, meditate on it day and night. Not just read it, study it, meditate on it. Write it on your heart. Second Samuel 7.25 And now, O Lord, now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word you have spoken concerning your servant, concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. There's six words in that verse that are so awesome and we need to remember them, Please. 2 Samuel 7.25, if you want to taking notes, write that down. The six words that are so important is Samuel's declaration, do as you have spoken. You realize that you can go to God's word and you can find a promise and you can say to God, and you're not ordering him when you do this. You're not saying, I want you to be a gopher for me. What you're saying is, I believe what you promised is true. So do as you have spoken. That's God's gift to you, his promises. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, you probably all know this verse. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do for me. But in that verse, there's four words that are so important. You can quote this any time that you're praying. For he has said. Who said? God said. For he has said that he's never seen the brethren go begging for bread. He has said that he will never leave me nor forsake me. He has said that he is greater that is in me than he that is in the world. He has said. You realize how important that is? That's God writing a check to you and saying, here, cash it when you need it. That's awesome. We need our eyes open so we might see and experience the spiritual reality of God's presence. 2 Corinthians 4.18. I'm giving you a lot of verses, guys, but I'm hoping you'll be able to re- just jot these down. 2 Corinthians 4.18. Oh, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What's that mean? When you're saying, how am I going to make rent this month? How am I going to be able to to take care of this toothache? How am I going to be able to pay that bill? I've got myself in a situation and I can't seem to get out of it. Where do I find a relief from it? You don't look at those things and focus on those alone. What you do is you look on the eternal things which are not seeing, the things that you need to be able to see in faith. You look at God and his promises. See, victory is found by those whose eyes and hearts are fixed on the Lord. In faith, they always see him. Isaiah 26.3 tells us, you keep him in perfect peace, not just relative peace, not a peaceful feeling you came in perfect peace to whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. See, men and women who have spiritual insight, who can keep their minds and hearts focused on God, can experience in their lives things that are stable and secure even though the world around them is falling apart. I'm going to repeat that. Men and women who have spiritual insight, who keep their minds and hearts focused on God, can experience lives that are stable and secure, even though the world around them may be falling apart. I'm going to challenge folks. Do you believe that today? I'm going to challenge you. Do you believe that today? Good. We're going to look at some other Old Testament saints now. In Genesis 12, we know that the Lord said to Abram, go from your country From your kindred, your father's house, to the land which I will show you. He wasn't even Abraham yet. He was still Abram. He said, go. I'll show you later. Three verses later, it says, so Abram went. You know, that's faith. That's seeing God. That's realizing God said, go. And he went, not knowing where he was going. You don't see anywhere in the verse where it says, God, where do you want me to go? I mean, what do you want me to do? No, he just said he just went. This is the same man who later was Abraham in Genesis 22 when God tested him. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and there offer him as a burnt offering. On the way there, when they arrived there, actually, Isaac said to Abraham, Bowl the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. How's that for faith? This is a man who wanted kids. God gave him the desire of his heart. He gave him a son. He said, from this son, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Then he said, oh, go up there and sacrifice him. What did Abraham do? Took him, obeyed God because his, he was aware of the presence of God. That's how he was able to do it. Abraham could do it again because God was the chief factor in his life. My question to you is, what's the chief factor or reality in your life today? As Christians, it's easy for us to come up with that standard, well, it's God. It's God. But is it always God? Or are there times whenever there's other things that flash into your mind first? When you have a problem, do you first go to God? Or do you say, oh, I've got to call a friend? Or, you know, how can I figure out how to get a little extra money to pay rent this time? Okay. You start figuring out how to fix these situations, these problems yourself, or do you go straight to God? If you don't go straight to God first, then guess what? The reality that you're first looking at isn't God, but it's your own ability or something you can get from someone else, from other, some other source. The only factor or reality that will never fail us is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He will never, ever disappoint us, and best of all, he'll never give up on us either. isn't that awesome? Not only was he never going to disappoint you, but God never gives up on us. I need that all the time. When a child of God knows and trusts God, he can unhesitatingly obey God because he can believe that God will take care of the rest. That's the truth, folks. (coughs) Excuse me. I'm going to quickly take you through a little story about Elijah. Elijah was Elisha's mentor. In 1 Kings 18, Ahab, the evil king of Israel, saw Elijah and said, is it you, you troubler of Israel? You're the guy that's causing all these problems. And Elijah turned around and said, no, you're the troubler to Israel because you're an evil king. See, what a tribute the bad man unconsciously gives the good man who is serving his God. Remember when Ben-Hadad sent a whole army after Elisha? The warfare and the resistance that sometimes we're, we see or we experience is often because God is using us. Please understand that. If you're being used by God, if you're trying to obey God, if you're trying to worship God, if you're trying to live for God, Don't be surprised by the resistance. Don't be surprised by what comes against you. Friday night, I called my brother Tim. Um, Only known Tim for less than a year, but I already consider him one of the best friends I have. I called him and said, Tim, pray for me, because trying to do this study, and this is the hardest study I've had to try and come up with. I'm having more struggles and more trials trying to get the study than one, any I can remember in recent history. He prayed for me. He encouraged me. Saturday morning I got up and God said, open your Bible, and he changed the whole thing. <laughs> he took us to where we are today. And I shouldn't have been surprised by that because the whole focus is resistance. The enemy coming against us. But God used what I had been going through, the struggles that I had been encountering, and showed me how I wasn't always looking to God for the answers that I was going through these things. Again, 1 Kings 18. Elijah said to the evil king, gather all of Israel together at Mount Carmel and send the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Ashtaroth, and bring them there. And Elijah then spoke to the people as they came, challenged them, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Interesting here. The people did not answer him a word. We can ask ourselves that question. Are we limping at times between two different opinions? Okay. Are we serving ourselves? Are we serving the world? Are we serving God? If we were honest, every one of us would say, at times, both. Because we're people and we're not saved yet. We're saved, but we're not perfected yet. Excuse me, we're saved, but we're not perfected yet. So we have that constant struggle but we need to make that decision. He told uh, the prophets of Baal, go, take wood, build a wooden altar, build a, and then cut an oxen in half, put it on top, cut it in pieces, put it on top. I'll do the same. Then we'll both pray, and whoever God is the first one to bring fire to burn up that offering is really God. Whoever answers by fire. So they went around, jumping up and down, making all their gyrations, all their noise. For hours, nothing happened. I love this. Elisha then said, crying aloud, hey, he's a god. Either he's musing, which means he's out just, you know, contemplating his navel or something, who knows, Uh, he's out doing yoga, or he is relieving himself. And yeah, folks, that's what it means. He said, "Maybe he's out using the bathroom. Maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and he has to be awakened." He had, a, he knew what exactly what he was saying as he was telling him this. He said, "That's the god that you serve." So what they do? They went crazy. They started cutting themselves, and there was blood all over the place. They did this again for hours. But in verse twenty nine, of 1 Kings 18, it says, There was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. That's always the case with any false idols. That's always the case with anything that comes against God. Not real, folks. The reality is God. He told his people, "Take the wood, put it there, but first take 12 stones, Representing the 12 tribes of Israel, put that there, put the wood on it, cut up the oxen, put that on top, dig a trench around. He said, take four vats of water, and three times he told him, fill it up. So the water was overflowing. And then he prayed. Please listen. 1836 of 1 Kings. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your word. See, he had the confidence to know that God said, do this. God said, go challenge them, because I'm going to be with you. Then the fire came down. It literally burned up the sacrifice, burnt up the bull, the wood, the stones, the water, and it said even the dust It burned up. Nothing was left. Then and only then did the people of Israel say, the Lord of Israel is God. Elisha did something really interesting at this point. He said, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. Kill them all. Why is that important to us? I'm going to ask you. Is there anything in your life that's preventing you from seeing God in all those areas. Is there? If there is, you need to remove it or move it. Remove it or move it. If it's sin, remove it. If it's something that's it's good, but it's you're putting it in place of God first, then move it. We can put our families, we can put our jobs, we can put any of those things that are good things, but we can look at those things and they can be standing between us and God we can have our focus on them more than we do God if that's the case am not telling you remove it folks don't quit your job don't cut yourself off from your family just move it put God first put God first now Elisha had this awesome victory so what happened next in chapter 19 a few verses later Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, may the gods do the same thing to me if I don't kill you the same way you kill the prophets by this time tomorrow. So what did Elijah do? Put his big boy pants on and said, ha, who cares? No, he didn't. He actually said that he ran away. Here's a guy that stood up against 450 prophets of Baal. And this one woman challenged him. And what did he do? He ran away. Real simple, I'll give you my thought on what happened. He took his eyes off God. Took his eyes off God. You see, that's a danger we have too. Have you ever had a victory in your life, and a victory of faith, a victory where God delivered you, a victory where you said, wow, this is awesome, God. And there's always, there can be that tendency to say, "Well, oh, I've been struggling, I've been praying, I've been fasting, I've been doing all these things. Now, i just just going to Relax. You know what? Relaxing means you can let down your guard. Relaxing means that you can leave yourself vulnerable to the enemy. The most dangerous time for some of us is after the victory. Don't take your eyes off God because he's given you a victory. Instead, as our brother said last week, pick up those stones and remember what God's done for you. Remember. And continue to look to him. That's what we need to do. Next point I'm going to look at really quickly is, is a brother named Gideon. The Lord In Judges 7, the Lord told Gideon, Go attack the Midianites and the Amalekites. And he had 32,000 men with him. God said, There's too many. If, if I let you have victory, they're going to think they did it. So tell the ones that are afraid, go home. 22,000 left. That left him with 10,000 men. Still a pretty good sizable force, right? He said, now test them. Whoever kneels on both, gets on both knees at the water to drink water and laps it like a dog, tell them go home. The ones that get on one knee, put water and bring it up to their mouth, leave them. 10,000 went down to 300. And God said, that's now... A number that I can use. In verse 12 of Judges 7, it says, The Midianites and the Malachites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. 300 against more than the sand of the sea. Not real good numbers, hot folks. But Gideon told his men in verse 15, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hands. There's a winning formula here, guys. God said, Gideon heard and obeyed. God says to you, you hear and obey. That's always a winning formula. You want to know how to have victory? That's it. When God says, go. When God says, pray. When God says, speak. When God says, be still and wait for me. When you do that, there is a guaranteed victory because God is, God is speaking to your hearts. I encourage you to step out in faith also to serve him. See, the child of God can be sure of his calling and his success if he knows he's a co-laborer with God, with his God. What is he calling you to do? Where is he calling you to serve? Your family where you work, your friends, your neighborhood. Okay. You realize if you go to the store, walking down the aisles with your cart, okay, you can be a light to people, even when you go and check out. Okay. God can use you in every circumstance if you say, I want to serve you, Lord. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are God's fellow workers. But one last point I'm going to bring up about Gideon. In Judges 6 9, it says, Gideon was beating out the wheat and the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Where we find Gideon? Before he ever was used by God? He's hiding from the Midianites. He's afraid of them. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. You know. Check it out. This guy was hiding, and and God said to him through the angel of the Lord, and said, mighty man of valor. See, God saw what he was going to do because God knew what he could do through him and with him before Gideon ever knew that he could be used. Gideon had no concept of fighting the Midianites. It was the farthest thing from his mind because he was trying to hide from them. Maybe you can feel like you're inadequate to serve. You don't have the gifts that others do. But I want to share with you, this is important. All the gifts that in, that abilities that dwell within a child of God can find ample room or opportunity to be used by God if they're dedicated to him. If you say, whatever gifts I have, God, I'm giving them to you. Use them. There are no common or useless abilities in you if you desire to use them for God's purpose. Again, there's no common or useless abilities in you if you desire to use them for God's purpose. I was a manager for a Toys R Us for a number of years. Prior to that, God had told me he was going to make me a pastor. And I knew it was going to happen, but I knew I had to wait on God. So when he opened the door for me to be a, a manager at Toys R Us, I was like, okay, I've got to take care of my family, Lord, so I'll do it. Uh, working with the public in retail, especially that situation was brutal it was brutal and I used to think I wonder if I'm really able to be a witness here Lord well Lord has sense of humor because he took me from there to work as a counselor in the prison system that was my next job but when I left Toys R Us the the employees always gave the managers who left a little party and they always bought something there's three previous managers that I know of all. One got a bottle of champagne. One got a bottle of brandy. Okay? And one got a fancy bottle of wine. I'm thinking, I wonder what they're going to give me. So they call me into the room, and they, they want to give me a party, and they give me a flat box. I'm thinking, that's not, that's not liquor or anything. Maybe it's candy. Opened it up. It was a Bible. It had my name engraved on it. And the Lord showed me, You weren't always as faithful to me as as you could have been, but I was always faithful to you. And in spite of you, I used you. That spoke volumes to me. Because I knew it wasn't about me, it was about God. There's a sad story of a lady named Hetty Green, who died in 1916. She used to eat cold oatmeal every day because it cost too much to heat it. Her son had to have his leg amputated because he couldn't be saved after it took so long for them to find a free clinic for him. History tells us she died of a stroke while arguing over the benefits of skim milk with somebody. A sad story, a sad life. But the saddest fact of all is when she died, it was found that she left an estimated estate worth over $100 million. This is factual, folks. This woman that had $100 million used to eat cold oatmeal, had her sons put his son in a place where he had his leg amputated because she was trying to find a free clinic. She had a life that was, that was literally ruled by fear. She had to be so afraid she was going to lose this wealth. That she didn't want to spend it. I mean, that's, that's conjecture, but what could it be? What could cause a person to do that? Then you have to ask ourselves. We have a God that the Bible says owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We have a God that says he will meet every single need. Do we still act like we're paupers sometimes? Do we still act like, what am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? See, victory is available in God if you keep your eyes on him. As Elisha said, open our eyes, Lord. Open our eyes. There's another story of an elderly woman who was told the enemy was coming. She picked up a fireplace poker to resist them. When people saw that, they told her, we can't really do much with that. She said, that's okay. At least when they get to here, they're going to know whose side I'm on. (laughs) Whose side are you on? Are you picking up your word today, deciding when it looks like the enemy is too numerous, when it looks like those challenges are too hard, are you picking up your word and saying, I'm going to fight this because the promises are that God gave me that I can have victory over this? Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. I will not be moved. If you're living your life how you know and believe that what God says is true, no matter what the attacks, they won't, they cannot move you. Because you're holding on to the Lord. Not only are you holding on to the Lord, but most importantly, the Lord is holding on to you and he won't let go. Please remember that. Greg taught us about the blessings of walking in faith, how we need to please God to do that by walking. Ryan taught us those things last week. One of the things he taught us was as you're walking through that river, pick up those stones. I'm going to share with you, not only is that a good word for last week, but that's a word that we can also use right here. As God gives you victory, as God gives you promises, as God gives you his word and you use it, put those stones in your bag, put those in your heart and say, Lord, you were faithful that time. I know you were, so I'm going to trust that your word is going to be just as faithful today because it's your word. It's your word. And in serving him, the safest place to be is in serving him. Why? Because you're joining him in what he's doing. And if God sets his mind to do it, it's going to happen. Remember that. Psalm seventy three twenty six, 26, Ryan, we're going to end with this. Psalm seventy three twenty six. my heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Have you felt that at times? My heart and my flesh, they're going to fail. I don't know if I can get through this. I can't get through this. And you cry out. Realize that the strength you need in your heart, in your life, is God alone. He is your portion, the portion you need forever, forever. So please, take that with you today. Remember that. Because there's not one of us that don't face those trials. If you felt like you haven't faced them in a while? I'm not trying to be the harbinger of bad news, but it's coming. <laughs> Eventually, we we'll all face those things. We all face those decisions whether we were going to follow God or we're going to look and lose hope because of the circumstances. Please, God is faithful, and God loves you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the fact that we can see you in our circumstances, Lord. We can hear your word. We have your word to guide us. We have your word to show us who you are, we have your word to hold on to. We have your promises that are sure, as your word says, as you have said. Help that to be the thought that comes to our heart every time we have a need. God has said, so I can believe. And let us use that as we, as you put on my heart to say, a checkbook. We have that check to use to cash when we need it. Not that we are ordering you, but we, do, we offer those things, we believe those things because you have promised them. And we are only in faith speaking those out that we know you love us and you will never leave us nor forsake us. Well God, be with us this coming week and in the days ahead. And as things probably are only going to get worse in the world, we know that we have a God who is greater than he that is in the world. Thank you, Lord. In your holy and precious name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.